enjoy the journey along the way and it, it definitely has its highs and its lows but know that with time comes development welcome to escaping the ordinary podcast if you are ready to be the best version of yourself and level up your life stay tuned as we interview special guests who will bring you all of the latest and greatest tips skills and know-how to make you the best that you can be we know that you have it in you and we are going to show you how with your host, Ryan T. So I want to introduce a photographer that's influenced my work for a long time. Someone I've been really, really excited to, to interview and speak with. I've never had the chance to meet Danielle. Joking. I know you're listening. <laughs> Danielle Bohain on the podcast today. She was actually named Rangefinders Rising Star in 2015. I know it sounds like a long time ago, but I'm sure there's many more awards and a lot more that's happened in the last five years. So welcome to now. Oh, thank you so much for having me along. It's an absolute pleasure. <laughs> My pleasure. Hey, um, let's give the listeners a little insight into why I said, what did I say? I said, Danielle, and we spoke that some people call you Daniel it's Danelle. So everyone listening, Danelle. I know. I'm always like, why did my parents just not decide Danielle? It just <laughs> yeah. made like, things so much easier in my life. But <laughs> Why be a little left field? Hey, at least it's not like Apple or something, right? Exactly. It's not, it's not too weird. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want to obviously welcome you. And uh, everything I said there in the intro, Danelle, is just like, yeah, open and honest. Like you came on my radar a few years ago and I remember reaching out on Instagram and I was just inspired by your use of tones, everything you kind of portray, to be honest, in your business. And um, could you give the listeners a bit of a background if they don't know much about Danelle? Absolutely. Well, thank you for your kind words. Um, Yeah. So I have been a wedding photographer for about 10 years now, and I felt really fortunate that I kind of was in the position I could just launch my business when I did 10 years ago I was still I was 21 and still living at home and I was like I'm onto a good thing here I don't think I'll go flatting because I can pay minimal rent (laughs) and spend (laughs) money on buying photography gear and trying to just hustle any sort of job in the photography world because as most wedding photographers um seem to I guess start out no one really wants to be a wedding photographer at the beginning maybe that's changing these days because of the other opportunities it can bring but 10 years ago (laughs) I guess it was one of those jobs that people kind of was like oh wedding photography but anyway so I was more interested in the commercial route of things and yeah, it's just it just obviously happened organically. Someone asked me to shoot their wedding, a friend through university. And yeah, I feel really fortunate that I got paid pretty well in my ads. I think it was a thousand dollars for a few hours of work um, for my first wedding. And yeah, it kind of just had a roll on effect from there. So then Danelle, so ten years ago you kind of picked up the camera and decided to hustle to make it a, a career. Like you said something really interesting there about wedding photography and a lot of people don't grab a camera and get, you know, say, oh, my dream's to be a wedding photographer. And you said you're interested in commercial photography. So did you start with that or did you jump straight into a friend's wedding like you said? Oh, well, at that stage I was kind of just saying yes to anything that came my way and 
just hustled for any sort of work because I was really determined to build something in the photography realm. And I started off doing some pretty mundane things like I was shooting Avanti bikes and clear cutting, things like helmets and (laughs) gloves and, you know, nothing glamorous, but it was a really well-paid job. And it taught me some good Photoshopping skills and things like that. And yeah, that was that. And then I also, we have a big company over here called Once, which was actually started by our friends. And they pretty much on sell fashion um, labels and homewares um, that haven't sold, I guess, in previous seasons um, at a discounted rate. But anyway, I would shoot all their like stock, usually on a model and things like that. Sorry. And there was also like a creative component to it where I had to do like a landing kind of image in a fashion kind of way rather than just within the studio. So yeah, it was, it was consistent work at that time. And yeah, I had, you know, like I said earlier, I didn't have a huge amount of bills to pay at that time. So it just yeah slowly built and yeah, gained momentum. And so Danelle, do you think like when you were doing that, commercial stuff and you're shooting the product and on the model and you're trying to create this banner image or cover image. Do you think that's like portrayed in your work now? I know a lot of listeners would be jumping on your Instagram and we see, you know, this incredible like portfolio and do you look for that like single shot or is it kind of like currently in the weddings? It's just, you go with the flow and, and see what happens type thing. Yeah. That's interesting that you would say that. I haven't really thought about it that way, but I mean, obviously my goal I guess is to do like a really good documentation throughout a whole wedding day but I would always love to know that I could walk away from a wedding with one image that I think would sum up the story in a day like I feel like I'm always aiming for that and that's what I try to push when it comes to like the marketing side of things in my portfolio section on my website and yeah, that it's not all just about like a bride and groom portrait, but some sort of emotive moment that happens throughout the day that kind of combines more than just the one element of wedding, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. For yeah. sure. And and then to get something like that, Danelle, like you speaking with clients a lot prior to the wedding day, are you you're scheduling this little bit of time to create something that you think will reflect their personalities and their story or... Yeah. How do you go about like, I mean, I know you're saying that you want to get an image that really portrays the whole day, but sometimes as you know, that doesn't present itself. So how do you handle that kind of situation? Yeah. Like I said, it doesn't happen every wedding, Mm -hmm. but I'm still determined uh, every time to try and get the best images that I possibly can because some weddings just don't (laughs) lean themselves to that, whether it just be too rushed or yeah, you know, there's just so many elements outside our control. But obviously on the front end of things before the wedding takes place, I'll talk with uh, my couples and just making sure that they allow the space to relax into the day and have those moments. And usually it comes down to like moments of connection between more than just the couple, but also the people that are attending the wedding. So educating people people on yeah just like sticking around for cocktail hour instead of doing a long portrait session with the bridal party and things like that generally 
I would say I'm like, I can do bridal party photos in like 10, 15 minutes. And I tell my couples like, yeah, these are nice photos to have, but at the end of the day, you're probably only going to put one bridesmaid or groomsman photo in an album. And yeah, we'll just kind of treat it in the same manner as a family photo. And then it'll give them far more ample time to be with all the people that they've chosen to be part of their day. But I mean, obviously I'm open to what people want as well. If they want to go off to multiple locations with just their bridal party, then I'm happy to go with that too. But yeah, I'm just always trying to carve in just like breathing space within their day so that people feel comfortable and yeah, can just enjoy their guests together. I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge thing to all the listeners out there. I mean, if I was a groom and, you know, I had a photographer, most, most couples, as you know, then I was quite nervous with the fact or have been part of the bridal party before. And it's like, yeah, they may have just had that experience where they're doing, you know, two hours of being dragged around all the areas. And then it's like, yeah, like you said, like you still, you know, if couples do want to go around and take longer, like you're willing to do that, but you also can give them that space to enjoy the actual wedding rather than feeling like they've got to be Danelle's client all day or something like that. Hey. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the longer I do that, I think my clientele is in a similar vein, I guess. And they, you know, they're investing a huge amount of money often into their weddings. And I mean, it doesn't come down to money, but you know, a lot of people, obviously not right now, but are flying in overseas and they haven't seen people in a long time because they live in other countries. So they want to spend that time with their guests and they only, they're the type of people often that kind of just want like a few beautiful images of themselves. And then, yeah, they want photos of what's actually happening. And um, so, Danielle, you said something interesting. So, I mean, you're based in, is it Auckland, New Zealand at the moment? Yep, at the moment, yeah. And then, um, Danielle, you're saying a lot of couples are flying in, like a lot of your couples coming in. I know you've traveled the world and been to some incredible places, but do you find most of your work now is actually international guests coming over or brides and grooms or couples or whatever coming to New Zealand and you photographing their weddings? Yeah, definitely. I, I would say a good 50% or more actually would be either New Zealanders coming home to get married who live in London or Australia or wherever really, um, and they come back to New Zealand to get married. And often it does mean like all their guests flying in as well and maybe it's just like the grandparents and some parents (laughs) still in New Zealand. It's either that or, yeah, and I get a lot of Australians as well coming down to Queenstown because I shoot there a lot. yeah, coming in and doing a destination wedding. I want to jump into destination weddings to now. And I know you've got a little a little boy. I think he's he's almost a year now. Is it Albie? Albie, yeah. I love that name, huh? Yeah, Albie is such a cool name. Yeah. Can we jump into, I mean, you've been doing it for a long time, right? Like 10 years. I'm sure you've seen it all. You've traveled a lot. Where do you see yourself going now being a mother? Like, do you see yourself traveling the world still and... <laughs> taking a lot of time away from the home or are you slowing down on that stuff? Yeah, it's really interesting. Like this last year has been a whirlwind of a year, obviously just becoming a mum and then <laughs> having a global pandemic and yeah. a measles outbreak. A lot happened in Albie's first year. But anyway, it did require 
a lot of change and yeah it was I had the first few months off where I could just focus in on him and then yeah around um, November I started to pick up and doing a few weddings and yeah February was a really busy month and I was traveling a lot within New Zealand but Dirk and Albie would come with me so and that made it much easier all my parents would as well but yeah it was intense and I have loved to be able to work at the same time as being a mother but it's just looked very different to how my life looked beforehand it's just like you don't realize the independence you have until I guess you become a parent and I wouldn't have any other way but yeah it's a big change and I think yeah it was interesting it's definitely more appealing to shoot a wedding down the road than having to get on a plane Mm -hmm. with a child or yeah I mean it might just be a season for a couple of years but yeah anyway but then the global pandemic hit and we're all forced to stay home and yeah it was a blessing in disguise in that regards that even though a lot of our world of work has ceased and we're trying to figure out new ways to work and we just don't know what the future holds right now in terms of weddings. Yeah, to have all this ample time with Dirk and Albie has been amazing. For sure. So Danelle, with with the little Albie being one tomorrow, do you feel as though being a mother like has changed your outlook on on weddings specifically or the images you're attracted to or, or creating? <laughs> yeah, I just like, it's so funny every time I go to a wedding, I'm just even more like emotional. I can get quite emotional anyway, especially in speeches. I know a lot of photographers say that they really get bored at receptions, but I love listening into people's speeches and hearing people's stories because that's what I'm really obviously attracted to within photographing weddings yeah so it's just become another level of emotion and just being way more sensitive towards I guess parents on wedding days and the emotion that it carries for them as well as not just the couple getting married and also like yeah I really love shooting weddings when the couple might already have children and things like that I always have loved that though as you can probably see in a lot of my work in my portfolio, I do showcase a lot of like little children. Yeah, I'm on your Instagram now and I can see uh, some beautiful photographs of kids that I can feel like the emotion in those photographs, not just, you know, the bride and groom. Mm. And um, I just want to jump, I guess, forward a couple of steps while I am on your Instagram, Danelle, because I mean, guys, if you haven't checked it out, you got to check it out. It's, it's strong. <laughs> but Danelle, first thing, well, I'm looking, you've got 1100 and something posts picky are you when you're posting because as you know to now and i'm sure you've mentored and coached so many photographers a lot second guess their choices and i can see you've got a complete variety from first dance to connection portraits to speeches to some of you and albie and then some of you and dirk and stuff like that so do you ever second guess yourself when you're posting i never feel like i am pressured to put up certain kind of imagery but I'm very particular on what I put up like I don't know if you can see but I'm I go through seasons where I'm like every second photo is in black and white and the next one's in color or it used to be like every third photo was in black and white and then or yeah whatever so I'm really particular when it comes to the tones of images and then making sure there is a variety because I 
feel like at the end of the day, it's the moments that matter. And for me to only showcase bridal portraits, I just feel like it wouldn't carry the weight of what I really care about when it comes to photographing weddings. And moments are my favourite type of images anyway. But sometimes it's just really hard to resist a beautiful portrait of a couple. Like Obviously, they're still like emotive images and I love the landscapes that I get to photograph in New Zealand and things like that. And I know people love to see that as well from New Zealand. So I am I'm very particular on what I put up. <laughs> awesome. And Danielle, can I talk about this black and white color, black and white color? Is that just something like, I mean, I've seen a lot of photographers do it. I've considered doing it. Is it an aesthetic thing for you? Is it to show variety or have a portfolio that stands out so it's not just all colour? Oh, yeah. I mean, I just love black and white mm-hmm. as much as I do love colour. And I just think some type of images are called to be black and white because colour can often be a distracting element. If it's like a highly emotive moment, often if you remove colour, it can be a stronger image. Yes. And then Danelle, so with black and white images, can I ask that when you're delivering a gallery to a client, are you selecting, you know, only, I don't know, 10% of the gallery to be black and white or are you providing the whole gallery in color and black and white? I would say it's probably like near 25%, 20% of a wedding. Some weddings I'm just like, oh, I wish this could all just be black and white. Some weddings just really suit black and white. Yeah. And it can come down to different elements and things like that but most people love color and I understand yeah I don't go and provide all of color and all of black and white yeah so that's kind of how I approach it for sure for sure and can we just backtrack a little bit you you spoke about your tones and images and I guess to be honest and now like when I first checked your workout a few years ago I remember as we all do or I did jumped on your Instagram and I was like damn, (laughs) this girl has the most incredible tones. And that was the first thing I was drawn to. And then I seen, you know, the connection and this playfulness and this emotive feeling. But I want to stay on the tone side of thing for now. So do you do all your own editing? And how did you come up with your, your palette? Or do you believe it's more location dependent than kind of what you're dealing with? Oh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of elements that go into it. And I have a whole section on, like, in my workshops that I've taught and specifically just on, like, colour and tone. (laughs) And I think naturally it would have developed from the landscape often that I have shot in. It just lends itself to those kind of colours. I guess if you go and look at, I don't know, a New York photographer it would be very based around their environment as well. Um, yeah, even like when it comes to like selecting for locations for portraits and things like that, you know, like if you walk in on a wedding day and you see the colours of the bridesmaid dresses or in the flowers and stuff and they're really like muted colours or, yeah, like autumn colours, right? And then it was in a set of in a city wedding mm-hmm. and I happened to walk past like a bright graffiti graffiti wall, I wouldn't choose to go and photograph like that location because I know it's not cohesive to the story of the wedding in terms of like the colour story. I kind of look at that as a whole nother element. 
there's like the moment story that's happening in the narrative of a wedding day, but then like a palette story. Mm. I don't know if that makes any sense, but no, and like it's like probably very subconscious now because it's just like things I know that I like and I don't like. And people who book me now probably have a similar aesthetic that they appreciate in my portfolio. For sure. And then, so Danielle, can I jump in? You said something interesting then. You said when selecting portrait locations. So say a couple book you for a a wedding in Auckland City. Are you giving them, I guess, some location ideas or are you just kind of going with the flow and then creating on on the go? Well, Auckland's very limited. <laughs> mm-hmm. New Zealand's one of the most beautiful countries in the world, but Auckland City is not one of the most beautiful cities in the world mm-hmm. um, in terms of like city locations and things. And I know the city in and out. Yeah, I feel like there's not really any new <laughs> locations that I don't know about. It's always a nice surprise if I find something new, but I kind of generally talk about that. But I don't shoot in Auckland much. I shoot like two times a year in the past. Hopefully that will change a bit. Or, <laughs> yeah, I'd like to shoot more local. <laughs> so say just analogy-wise, Danelle, say if I, I inquired and, and we, we got to the booking stage and I was having a wedding, it all lined up in a venue that wasn't aesthetically surrounded by incredible locations that we see on your portfolio, would you be suggesting stuff to me then? Yeah, like I'd be willing to obviously say, oh, maybe we should go here and there. Like I'm involved in that sense. But if there is nothing within like 10 minutes drive and like there's only so much control you have over these things. Yes. And I'd probably be pushing at that point to go and shoot in the best light possible because if you've got good light, you can make a pretty average wall look pretty nice if it's got the right light and things like that. So it's a bit hard when it's a really terrible location and really terrible light. So at least if you can have like good light with a bad location, you're halfway there. <laughs> it is so, so <laughs> true, right? Or maybe 80% there. <laughs> <laughs> so are most of your like couple portraits done around the sunset time? Not all the time, but mostly I would say that that's where I'm like, if I don't have long, I'm just like, well, let's just wait till later on in the evening. But you've got to be pretty confident that you know that you're going to get that time because, you know, if a speech goes over and you can't get out of that marquee or by that sunset time, it can get a bit <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we've all had situations. I remember sitting in speeches and I'm just looking out the window and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Like, I'm not going to stop the speech because this no. is incredible, but say goodbye to your photos together. You know, and then yeah. they come up to you after the speech and they're like, all right, you're ready to go. And it's like, hey, the moon's out. Yeah, it's black. Yeah. yeah. Generally, I'll, um, I often will split time. Like I might do like 20 minutes in between or before the ceremony even. Like I'll do a first look and then I'll do sunset or I'll do a little bit after the ceremony, you know, or cocktail hour and just split it up just so I never like put all my eggs in one basket. And so, so Danelle, when you say, like generally you you may do that. Is that you coming up with that thought process for couples or is that them approaching you saying, you know, we want to do a first look type thing? Yeah, I probably, I don't often push first yeah. looks because I don't really like shooting at midday. But um, if that's what the couple want, I'm more than happy to go with it. 
and I'm I'm like very open about explaining about light and things like that but yeah I think that's my job is to try and also educate them and then make it work as well yeah but often like I said earlier it's the portraits aren't like the main focus on the day always so yes yes some people it is but not not everyone Danielle, can we stay on tones just for a second? So for the photographer out there that may be a little unhappy with what they're producing tonal range wise, do you have any like tips for them to educate themselves differently, edit differently, look for things, become a Danielle too? Who knows? <laughs> um, unfortunately, I don't sell yeah. presets, so I can't, I can't give you a preset. I mean, there's so many amazing presets out there these days. I I would have killed to probably have that 12 years ago when I was Mm. learning photography and things like that. But anyway, it's just, I guess, time and longevity. And knowing your programs like Lightroom, if you edit in Lightroom or Photoshop, just know what every tool does. And I'm all about like small movements. If you're, let's say you're in the hue, saturation and luminance channel like move all those tools and see what each each slider does and just do things with small movements it's never anything drastic that I'm doing when it comes to editing it's always just like lots of small movements and then know what the curve does and things like that have a play there's so much resources out there these days when it comes to workshops and online education for editing for sure. appreciate that. Now, just staying on black and whites, I know a lot of photographers photograph in like a black and white preview JPEG on the camera because they say they'd be distracted by colors they see. Do you do something similar or are you shooting color? No, I just shoot color. Yeah. Um, I'm on mirrorless cameras now, so I even see the exposure. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> yeah. It's cheating, right? It's pretty hard to take a yeah, underexposed, overexposed photo these days. <laughs> Do you think, um, you know, I'm not all about cameras, but I know it's interesting to know and, and we all use them as our tool and stuff like that. But do you think mirrorless versus, you know, like the Canon systems, uh, I don't even know, DSLR? Yeah. <laughs> don't worry. Yeah, I'm that's right. Not a gearhead. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I'm technically hopeless at all, right? <laughs> but do you reckon it actually plays like a huge advantage having an EVF? seeing what you can in, in camera? I don't know. I, I mean, I've only been on mirrorless for a year now and I wouldn't say that I was taking worse photos when I was on SLR camera. I just think it makes culling harder because they don't really go out of focus and they don't really, <laughs> yeah, your exposure seems to be more consistent because you can see it. But I used to get really flustered in some moments on a wedding day. And you just don't remember to check your settings and you're just firing away and you're like, oh gosh, that's like completely overexposed or something like that. Yeah, I guess so it eliminates that. So I think if you're starting out, like things like that, it's like super duper helpful. But I know by just looking at a location with my eyes, I can like pre-visualize and I'm always looking at the light. So with my own eyes before putting my camera up to my eyes. For sure. I remember... um just been in a workshop with a lot of photographers and a few had just started and they had the DSLR and they'd take a photo, look at the the screen, take a photo, look at the screen. And I remember speaking to one and uh, we're talking about mirrorless cameras 
I mean, it's just another tool. It's like a hammer. It's just a you know another tool for a job. But the way you're using your DSLR, if you have a couple in front of you and they see you, you know, take a photo, look at it, think they're reading your expressions on your face. Even if you're shooting it all under or over, like yeah. it's probably better than firing one frame and then looking at it for like two minutes, zooming in while like a couple are standing there. That's probably not yeah. the way to use it, depending on the couple. Danielle, I want to switch things up a little bit in terms of how your couples are finding you. Where do you find like, I mean, 10 years, I'm sure you've got an amazing network of people that refer work, but what's one, one platform, whether it's vendor relationships, Instagram website, what's one you couldn't live with? You think? Couldn't live without? Live without. That's right. Yes. (laughs) You passed the test. Well done. I mean, I still think like a website is the most vital and I would still hope if Instagram died tomorrow and um, went off the internet that I could still survive. Actually, let's let's go next step further. If the internet died tomorrow, I would hope that my business could still survive off word of mouth between past couples that I photographed and then, yeah, just industry relationships. Yeah, but I think it comes down to genuine relationships not just, oh, I'm just going to become friends with this photographer so that they can refer me work or I'm going to do a styled shoot with this florist so that they'll refer me. Like, obviously, it's nice when those things come from it, but always remember to, like, come from a genuine place of friendship or relationship first because I think that's what pays off in the long run. Yeah, I mean... Danielle, you're so right. Hey, it's like, I mean, we're all onto it. We know why some people are reaching out and why others are are as well. And it's, it's just like, yeah, if you have the morals in the right place and you're actually like helping serve people and, and being open and honest and not beating around the bush or pushing for things. Hey, as soon as like, I don't know, like I've had videographers just constantly email me just to be a recommended vendor. And I'm like, I've emailed a few before and I'm like, dude, if you just like said hi and like, let's get a coffee because I love coffee. Like I would have had a chat to you, but yeah. you're emailing me and you haven't even used my name in the email. It's like, hi, Feather and Finch. And I'm like, uh, I'm not Feather and Finch. Like <laughs> report, Google spam, like block everything. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a, yeah, it's always an interesting one, but yeah, I guess so my focus has always been, yeah, just giving my couples that amazing experience. And I'm sure that's everyone's intention as well. Well, I'd hope so anyway. But yes, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying like things like Instagram has been really beneficial for my business in the past. There was, I guess, before the whole destination wedding boom, maybe what, five years ago? I feel like Instagram or four years ago, Instagram was at its peak. I would get a huge amount like of my like destination work through there and things like that. But it's kind of great. And I mean, there's always obviously a global pandemic. It's never a good thing, but it's always amazing to see what can rise out of these situations. And I think in all industries, it would be nice if things come back to local. And yeah, I always think, have I fostered something locally in my hometown that if I can't get on a plane tomorrow, will my business still survive? Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it gets you thinking, right? And I mean, no one knew 
COVID-19 was around the corner, but you were so right, especially for like destination photographers that are traveling so much that may have built relationships all around the world, but never focus on their local area or don't have a portfolio to show of it. That can be a, a tough situation. Hey. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, it's obviously New Zealand's kind of back to normal to a degree because we can have weddings normally and things like that. Now people are still cautious because we don't, obviously our border is not open to Australia and a lot of Kiwis live in Australia whatsoever. But anyway, I can still focus on other parts of my business. Like I just did a whole weekend of mini portrait sessions. I never really thought I would branch out into like family photography and things like that, but it was amazing. And I was just like, man, I'm so thankful that I have a lot of past clients still in New Zealand or friends of friends who've booked sessions with me and I can still bring in an income at this stage, even without weddings happening. Cool, cool. Can we jump into uh, your mini portraits? Because I did see, I think you put it up on your Instagram story or something like that. So is this like a one day thing? Is this like a separate business? And yeah, how are you getting the word out there? And are you doing it location or in studio? Yes. So I did them last year for the first time in November. I was actually talking to a good friend of mine, Kristen Marie Parker. She's a Seattle-based photographer. And she was just like, oh, Danielle, you should do these. I run these. And they've been like, they're amazing little top-ups through the quieter seasons Mm -hmm. for my business when weddings aren't happening and yeah, she's like, I've just found that if you're needing some more income to come in or you're just wanting to do something a bit different. Yeah, anyway, long story short, she was like, you should totally try them out and see if they work. And so I launched a day, so in November, and I kind of marketed, like, get some family portraits or couple portraits or single portraits in time for your Christmas presents or things like that, or just in, if you're in need for a headshot, I guess, for your business. Anyway, so I just published it on my Instagram stories and yeah, I like my session. So my first day sold out in like 15 minutes, which was amazing. I was kind of like, whenever I like launched something like workshops, I was like, Oh gosh, okay, I sell one ticket. <laughs> now I have to actually do it. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, Oh God. Uh, yeah. I always just get nervous every time before I like think of oh, putting myself out there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've done it plenty of times now, but yeah, every time I'm just like, Oh, I hope someone will book. But yeah, so then I ended up opening up a second day the following weekend. And then, yeah, I just did them two weekends ago. I just did uh, Saturday and Sunday. So I did 22 sessions over wow. two days. And it was awesome, but exhausting. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there's different ways you can do it. You can just charge like a smaller sitting fee and try and sell like prints and frames and extra images in the post or yeah it's just finding a sweet spot for you and thinking about like obviously I did them in in a studio because I would just hate to be reliant on the weather when you have like 12 couples or 12 families all lined up in a row it would just be a logistical nightmare and then Danielle's I mean 22 sessions in in two days is a lot. So how long were you like blocking out for the duration of the shoot? And how also did you go about pricing it? I mean, you said you can do like a shoot fee and then try and sell prints. Was that something you did or did you do like, you mentioned that, yeah, you could do digitals or products. So how did you do it? 
So they were 20 minutes long each session. And that is like if there's any sort of child involved and you're indoors, that's like max amount of time. It's like they're done by then. (laughs) Children have very short attention spans and they'll only stand there for a certain amount of time. I mean, obviously I'm trying to get like more relaxed moments, but still you kind of need them not to be screaming or <laughs> they're just unpredictable. Anyway, so I charged 450, 450 New Zealand dollars for 10 high-res images for a 20-minute session. And I'm still kind of in the experimental phase because I'm going to probably keep doing them. You've got to test your market because, yeah, I was thinking, oh, I'll just do like, I'll deliver 30 to 40 images they can pick their 10 and then there'll be like an option for a buyout of images and yeah it's just interesting to see how many people actually end up just being happy with 10 images enough for a family portrait session or yeah people are really interested in framing and printing that's for sure but yeah more conservative on the amount of files that they want Gotcha. So then out of the 22 sessions to now, like how many of those couples or families or single portrait clients were looking for more, like looking for products or looking for more than just 10? How many do you reckon? Oh, not many, not in New Zealand. That's why I was surprised because when I was talking to my friend over in the States, um, she was just like, oh, they've a lot of them take the whole bundle. But I mean, it might just be a matter of the time of the year I, I just think there's so many elements because it's a high price point compared to some for some people's like sitting I think I don't know maybe not maybe it's really cheap I'm not sure <laughs> but I knew how much I wanted to make out of a day and my overheads and things like that and I was like that's how that's probably the minimum I'd be happy with it's interesting it's in some ways it's easier than a wedding in terms of the amount of work but there's way more touch points of communication because you're talking with 22 people or 12 per day mm. rather than just like one client so it's a whole different thing but the editing is way quicker because it's like the same location yeah i, I want to ask you a couple of questions on that Danelle. so you're saying you, you shot them in the studio did you have like lighting set up was it the kind of same scene for same couples i know the the connection and emotion would have been different or did you kind of run around to try and change things? Or was it um, natural light? Yeah. Yeah, it was all natural light. So I picked a natural light studio and I had two different backgrounds. Like I had a light one and then a dark gray backdrop on the other side because the studio is really, really spacious. And yeah, it worked really well. I was kind of like, oh, do you have a preference on a darker background or a lighter background? No one had a preference. So <laughs> I found like I was just like, oh, well, we'll, we'll start here. I just, some people's outfits link themselves towards a lighter background or a darker background or, you know, their vibe as people. I just yeah, could pick up, I think, pretty quick. And like, I think they'll be yeah into the darker background or something like that. So, or I just did both for some people. And then with their outfits to now just staying on this, did you help them choose something to bring and that kind of presented really well? Yeah, so I obviously, since it's such a short session, I kind of was like, there can't be any outfit changes. And so you just one outfit and then I just kind of said, dress how you like to dress and express yourselves. Just be cohesive as if you're with a family. Yeah, just try and make your outfits cohesive and don't have like printed slogans on the T-shirt. That's all I said. 
Yeah. Okay, cool. So you left it quite open for them. Yeah, totally. Because I don't feel like it's my place to <laughs> like control what people wear. It's like telling a bride what kind of dress you should wear. <laughs> yeah, that's going to make for an awkward shoot, especially if yeah. she's uncomfortable, right? <laughs> yeah. So then, Danelle, out of the 22 sessions that you, you did over those two days, you said you offered it to families, to couples or single portraits. What do you think the majority were? Actually, the last, the one I did two weekends ago, I was really surprised at how many couples came in and had their portrait done, which was so nice. Obviously, that's my field, but in my head, maybe it's because it's a season of life that I'm in, I thought it would just be mostly families. And I didn't actually have any single portraits for this time around, but I did in November last year, I did two people by themselves, which is really nice and really good challenge for me. I guess, like, how do I be creative with just one person and not having the connection with someone else? Because it's actually really easy in some ways to shoot a family because there's a lot more going on and you can, like, kids can always bring out way more emotion. For sure. (laughs) Whether it's good or bad. (laughs) It brings out emotion. But, yeah, obviously it is still predominantly families and mostly, like, one younger child, like a baby with the parents. And it's, I mean, I have loved it, like getting to talk to people on a similar season to Dirk and I, and I dragged Dirk along to these because he is my, my, when I'm shooting the next couple usually arrive. But um, yeah, it's just really nice to have yeah, just conversations with new parents and yeah, I've really, really loved that side of things. And then, yeah, it's just family is awesome and it can have its hard moments, but it's really cool to see young families come in, especially people that were couples that I photographed their weddings. And then you can see, yeah, their fruits, their children. <laughs> and yeah, it's really lovely to see them growing as families as well. Oh, it's beautiful. Danelle. Yeah. I mean, you're coming from such a beautiful place, even just offering that because I know it's something, you know, a lot of couples that have had you photograph their wedding would just respect so much to keep their photos of their families or new families alive yeah. and yeah, it is. I mean, being a father, I, I love that. Like it, it makes me emotional just thinking about sometimes I'm just like, life can be so short and um, to do a mini session with yourself, obviously that would be incredible, but it's just like 10 photographs can just mean so much to someone. Oh, totally. You know, it could be posy, it could be candid. I know in the studio would be probably a bit of a different vibe how you direct. So could you just elaborate on the difference between let's say, a couple getting married and you've got 10 minutes for their sunset portraits or you've got 10 minutes because they ran 10 minutes late for a studio mini session. <laughs> What's the difference? Yeah. So the number one thing is that you can't really go walking in the studio. <laughs> and I've realized like that's something that I think all wedding photographers really rely on to get people comfortable and connected and at ease in front of the camera. And it keeps like an upbeat, I guess, level of, energy to photograph so that gets stripped away straight away when you go into the studio and for me I'm like this is not about creating like one really trendy image that represents the family I call them classic portrait mini sessions for a reason because I want images that just sit on the wall that stand the test of time and yeah so I I do start with trying to Obviously, some kids, it's not all about getting them to look at the camera, but they're standing there together and I'm like, they can look at each other or look at me. Um, We just kind of see how, obviously, every session is so different. 
but yeah each session it's pretty much just all about just trying to get like a classic image together and I'll break it down like start with the family all together if it's a family and then do like one of each child and then one parent with the children and the next parent with the kids yeah and I always ask like is there anything that you want because they're paying for my time so I wouldn't be respectful and ask if there's anything that they want also I love that yeah beautiful like traditional portraiture hey how like I mean it withstands the test of time totally. like Dirk and I actually got when we went to New York with we used to <laughs> we meant to go next month actually but <laughs> happening I'm sure a lot of people are meant to go next month somewhere <laughs> but anyway um our friend Josh Wool he's a portrait photographer based in New York actually just moved to LA I think like this week but does tin types and Dirk and I I don't know if you happen to see it if you follow Dirk on Instagram or not but he yeah did tin types of Dirk and I a couple of years ago and I just like I love that if we're all to die and all the hard jokes die in in the years to come that we have that like standing. If that I was like if I was to go out with a bang, like that's a beautiful image to, to represent us in that time. And yeah, I think that's why I adore photography. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Actually, just quickly recapping on uh tin type. So I actually did a workshop now like about a month ago on the Gold Coast with a photographer called Craig Duffin and I actually, yeah, shot tintypes for the first time, oh, processed, wow. developed, lacquered. And um, I mean, the process, I was a workshop. So it was a one-on-one workshop to learn tintype photography. And I got home and, um, you know, once the lacquer had set and, and the fixer had set on the actual tintype, it was a still life of a, a plant shot on a four by five camera. And I'd sat on my stairs at my home and cried. <laughs> And it was so overwhelming, the whole process. And it just stripped everything back to like those bare knuckle days and it's imperfections and all of that just from a still life. And there's just, it was overwhelming, but it was just, it just kind of like just reiterated how a simple photograph and the process as a creative can be just so touching and when we're bombarded by thousands and thousands of digital pixels and all of this, it's just like, yeah. I mean, that day I, I photographed two photos and I was there for 10 hours. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And that's why I fell in love with photography is those things. And yeah, it's an overwhelming season, I think, like because of the digital realm. And I think obviously that's why a lot of people have gone back to shooting on film and things like that because it slows us down. But I'm like, I obviously do love digital too and it's perfect for what I'm doing right now. But yeah, it's it's a beautiful, timeless piece of, yeah. Amazing, amazing. I want to ask you actually last question, Danielle, because I'm wary of your time and little Albie's probably snoozing or he's, he, he's snoozing away. <laughs> well, that's cool. So I'm going I'm to ask you a last question here. So if you could share three tips to photographers that are tuning in to level up either their business, their creative photography on the spot, what first three tips come to mind? Tip number one would be focus on your couples and focus on your photography. Is that two tips? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'll keep that as one tip. Cool. Yeah. Keep the main thing, the main thing. It can be easy to get pulled with the tide on trends or 
yeah, other parts of business. And I understand there's a lot of hats to wear when it comes to owning a small business. But yeah, I think if you keep those two things your main priority as a photographer, you'll succeed and go far because it does, it comes back to photography and for us in the wedding industry or portrait industry, it comes down to people. Do a second pro tip. I don't know if I call it a pro tip. <laughs> let's let's a, go pro tip. Okay, pro tip. <laughs> <laughs> Do a personality test. I just recently did, if you haven't done like your Enneagram or another one that I did just a couple of weeks ago was the Gallup Strength Finders test. And it's just amazing just for personal growth, but also it lends a lot to like growth in your business to know your strengths and what you're really good at and to know where your downfalls are as well, because it's much easier to deny like what we're bad at. But I know deep down we all know what we lack in life. And yeah, I mean, even if it comes down to something simple, like you know you're not good with money or you know you're not yeah, good with numbers, like outsource that stuff straight away. Like get the professionals and don't try and do your own accounts because you don't want to do it wrong. It just causes too much stress in the long run. And third tip, just realize that people are at where they're at because of time usually and longevity. Like if you stick at something for a long period of time and you enjoy it, you'll get somewhere. It's really easy. I used to do that the beginning of my career is to look at where I want to be and get frustrated and I don't realize what people have sacrificed or done to get to where they have got to so enjoy the journey along the way and it definitely has its highs and its lows but know that with time comes development I love that you did go out with a bang on that <laughs> one <laughs> I just kind of started opening my mouth. So I was like, I don't know where this No, no, I love that, Danelle. <laughs> I'm not going to reiterate on your three points, but that last one, like time, like there's no fast forward the clock. If you've done 10 years in photography and, you know, someone's looking at your work and they've done 10 days in it, like it just took time and, and failures. And I mean, we're all our, our worst enemy when we start and we look at these people that are influencers and it's just like, it can be so disheartening. So just, yeah, I always say time, time, time. Like don't compare yourself to someone that's been doing it for 50 years. Totally. Yeah. So um, appreciate all of that. I'll obviously link to everything you've said and spoken about. And now I, I'm so thankful and grateful to have you honestly here and I mean, you're a huge inspiration. I know we've never actually personally caught up or anything like that, but yeah, you're a huge inspiration to so many photographers and I love it how you are doing you, it seems, and, and your family is at the, the forefront of your mindset when you're creating images for couples and you're always always considering your couples first and, and the focus of your business about capturing those moments. So more Danelles would be in an incredible world. So I uh, appreciate it, Danelle. Oh, thank you, Ryan. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. You're too kind. We're so glad you have taken the time to tune in. If you found this episode useful, why not share it with a friend and be the light someone may need? Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. This would mean so much to us. Ryan would love to connect with you beyond this episode. 
The links to everything and anything that was spoken about are in the show notes at www.escapingtheordinarypodcast.com. Talk to you next week.